I'm in your living room, Liz. I'm right here with you. We've had a question in the chat. Lillian Edwards asks, why are you running the hospital radio in an open prison? (laughs) I am assuming that this is a reference to my blue snowball and clamp and pop filter setup. Well, and also the fact that um, she thought that your background made it look like you're in an open prison. So she thought (laughs) she thought you were recording from the sick bay of a prison. I am recording from Liz's balcony. That's Liz's balcony with, as we discovered earlier, pigeon-proof netting. Yeah, it's to keep things out, not to keep people in. It does keep Liz in, though. Liz, have you ever jumped off your balcony? No, because I live on the seventh floor, John. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm like, I am not jumping off Liz's balcony while in her lovely flat um, with this gorgeous view of um, the Thai skyline behind me. Hello everyone and welcome to the very 11th episode of the Octothorpe podcast, a podcast about science fiction and science fiction fandom. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And we are coming to you today live from Liz's house. Alison is on the balcony and Liz and I are on the sofa. Well, I'm on the coffee table. (laughs) You're basically perched on the coffee table in the middle of my living room, but that's fine, John. You, You do you. (laughs) <laughs> i shall and thank you and the beer here is excellent i'm drinking nocturne by unity which is a lovely oatmeal porter and i'm surprised they sell it in thailand <laughs> i am drinking two tribes metroland a session ipa i am surprised they sell it in thailand liz are you drinking beer i mean i'm drinking i'm i'm drinking water which they also sell in thailand so fair enough um and yes we are here this is the um last stop of Alison's guff trip on the way back from Worldcon. she's coming back from new zealand via thailand back to walthamstow um are you tired Alison? um i believe i now have a title for my um virtual guff report which is time zones are a social construct <laughs> I, I mean that is true so, yes, I am quite tired. I feel, I think I feel less tired than I would after a regular convention, which is interesting because I do feel very tired, but I do not also have some kind of low-level gastric disorder and a majestic hangover. And I think that's a win. So normally at the end of a convention, I'm kind of quite poorly as well as being physically and mentally tired. Um, and I do not have any of that stuff. I'm just tired. I I am. I do not know what time of day it is. I do not know what day of the week it is. I have no idea whether I can move back straightforwardly from New Zealand time. I don't even know what New Zealand time is. Um, oh, I do have to go and visit the Chatham Islands for half an hour. Um, so I'm going to do that. So that, there is one more stop on. There's one more kind of um, New Zealand stop on my tour. So I, I I wasn't aware that there were any talking pigs in New Zealand. Talking pigs. Yeah, if you're going to chat to ham. I make this joke every time I go through Clapham. I'm like, we're applauding the pigs at Clapham Junction. And Hog, the first time I did it, laughed entirely too much. Uh, And so I've never stopped. So basically, I blame him. So this is basically a brick joke for some different fandom. I mean, I guess. (laughs) Maybe. So, um, and you are, you may be channeling Ian Sorensen. 
I, I again, regard this as a great compliment. So, there we go. Um, I have no regrets. Oh, dear. Douglas Petra said he does the same whenever he goes through sheep wash. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I have also been at a convention uh, this weekend, and, and Hispania has been at Conzealand, and we have been getting increasingly greasy takeaways every night and drinking entirely too much. So I do have the traditional lack of vitamins and over-imbibing of alcohol feeling and feel very much like the Sunday morning of a convention. Liz, how do you feel in terms of vitamins and stuff? I feel pretty good because I think... At the end of the last Worldcon, I had quite a big hangover, and that was entirely due to Alison Scott spending all her groats on beer in in Martin's Bar in Dublin until they literally closed and turned the lights on and kicked us out. Uh, so I don't have that this time, but I will be having it. I'll have a beer later in solidarity. I, I have two comments to make on that. The first is on a point of order. I should say that as well as spending my own personal groats, I also went round the bar finding if anyone had groats that they did not expect to spend before the end of the evening and collecting them up and redistributing to them, them to people who didn't feel they had enough beer to last till the end of the evening. And I also, at at least one point in the evening, um, hung the treasurer of Dublin 2019 upside down by his ankles until quite a lot of groats fell out so that I could do more redistribution of groats is that the only reason I was not at Conzealand until the point at which they shut the door and turned off the lights is that I had to leave the dead mm. dog about 50 minutes early so that I could come here and set up for this podcast. So I think they, they have actually shut, I believe, that the last parties at New Conzealand, I think the Discord is still open for another three hours, but the, I think the last parties have closed now. Um, you'll still be able to watch the, the videos and things for a week. So what are we talking about this week, John? Conzealand. So we're going to note at the top of this episode um, that we are going to talk to Alison about how much fun she's had at her convention. And I might talk a little bit about how much fun me and uh, me and Espana have had um, doing conventions this weekend as well. Um, we are unlikely to have a coherent and nuanced discussion about all of that, what happened regarding... Um, George R. R. Martin and the Hugos and general uh, things that were on fire as a result of that. We will be discussing that next episode where we have had a chance to um, come up with uh, coherent thoughts, sensible thoughts, nuanced thoughts, good thoughts. But critically, thoughts that we can edit before they're broadcast. That too. How did you find shifting time zones on your guff trip, Alison? I do not know what time of day it is. I do not know what day of the week it is. I do not know. Sunday. It it started out quite good. So I thought it was going to be quite straightforward and it was straightforward. And then then we went camping. So I was combining a actual holiday in the daytime with virtually touring New Zealand and Australia in the nighttime. And there weren't any hours left at that point. And then it went all went quite wrong. And since then, it's been a bit chaotic. How was being in New Zealand and Wales simultaneously? Did that, did that go well? Both these places have sheep. Okay. So, so I, got out, I got out of the 
you know, it's dawn on, uh, in Pete Crump's farmhouse garden because we were camping in his field. And, and there's like these rolling hills and sheep. And I was like, you could always, almost believe you were in New Zealand. Oh, no, that's a good point. OK, fair enough. So this is quite like, um, and but then there was some kind of re- really weird things. So I was going virtually touring where Ming and Smitty were taking me around Wellington on a as a telepresence on their phone and pointing me at things so I could see them. And it was about two o'clock in the morning. And and, and, and this sort of thing is quite strange. Um, so, and, and yes, and that was the point where it all went completely wrong. But also when I got back, even though I was here, once I was on New Zealand time, the, the, the notion of being expected to fall asleep at one o'clock in the afternoon when it's very sunny and the house is very active, it can no longer be explained away by going to bed late or very late or getting up very early. It really was just that you were on the opposite time and it, it's much harder. So I kind of ended up with a couple of sleeps a day, neither of which were at all adequate and which taken together did not remotely add up to um eight hours or even probably five hours um so a proper convention sleep cycle then i don't normally sleep in the afternoon at conventions unless i have got so exhausted that i just drop where i am and um, i met christine uh kristen seibert i think her name is who is the head of parties at um, concealers. So we spent quite a lot of time together over the weekend as I, as she spent all the time working the party room. She was basically the party host for the Zoom parties and the parties ran in three hour chunks every eight hours all weekend. So you basically had... I really like that because Hispania mentioned that and that's a good idea. That worked really well. They should have done it with the panels as well. So what they probably should have done was have a three hour slot of parties and then a uh, five-hour slot of panels or possibly just a three-hour slot of panels and then a three-hour slot of, uh, you know, and a, then an hour for lunch and showers and physical exercise and actually not spending your time on your arse because the the, the hugest difference between a, a five-day online convention, it, at a five-day Worldcon, I hit 10,000 steps every day. I hit 20,000 steps most days. I get plenty of physical exercise. I normally get plenty of fresh air. At Dublin, I got so much fresh air, I was often in, at severe risk of being knocked over by the bloody wind um and at this convention i lit- it is not wrong to say that i have dragged myself from my bed to my desk chair back to my bed and one of my dear friends was talking about her extremely aged and infirmed mother and said she just she spends all night in her bed and then she spends all day in a chair and she's starting to get bed sores and we're really worried and i'm like okay yeah i should be checking for bed sores at this point so so i have not had very much exercise this week to put it mildly I have been in a similar boat um, from Thursday. I basically spent, um, well, as as I've told Liz, I've spent roughly 12 to 15 hours a day playing Arkham Horror, the card game on my computer. Don't look so happy. You look so happy. For people watching this later on the stream, John just has this, he has the exact same grin that people have when they've had sex for the first time with a new partner. I mean, so I would like to, I would like to say uh, two things. Firstly, Espana laughed, could hear it. (laughs) Secondly, I would like you to know that I look less happy than this uh, in that situation. I am definitely (laughs) glowing right now. I think we can all agree. Yeah, no, he really, really is looking very contented right now. It's been so good. It's been so good. I've had a hugely great time, but it has necessitated like doing stretches at my computer which is, you know, fun. Um, but yeah. 
Yeah, I've had to do stretches at my computer. Sometimes I've had to stretch for beer and sometimes I've had to stretch for tortilla chips. I uh, see. So yeah, I'm weightlifting right now. So, Liz, um, yeah, we've talked a lot. How are you? Well, I'm good and I haven't been to a convention, so I figured I would just stay quiet and re- react to Alison's stories of uh, Conzealand. Does Alison's story of Conzealand make you wish you had time shifted and attended Conzealand? It does a bit because the time shift for me would actually have been not too difficult. I think basically I could have time shifted by just getting up very early, but I'm not naturally a morning person. So the idea of like having to get up at 6am to attend a convention seemed really grim. So I didn't do it. I was on, I was on the program at 8am New Zealand time on the first day of the convention, which is like 9pm UK time. So I had to time shift to get up to be on a program item at nine o'clock in the evening as if it was the start of the day. And Oh, my God. Anyway, I blame Laurie Mann, who tells me it's not her fault, but I blame her anyway. Um, So I've never I never that day I was on program at eight o'clock in the morning and ten o'clock at night. So I have a question about the Conzealand program, which I didn't look at in any great detail. I saw people doing the traditional I could have done it better on Twitter and I sort of mostly ignored that. Um, But did you find that it was um, programmed like a traditional world con in terms of like the times and how many panels were in each slot? Or or what did you think changed compared to a physical world con? I think it was programmed very much like a normal world con in that a lot of random people were put on panels, sometimes to great effect and sometimes to slightly less good effect. Um, It mostly ran in the daytime so compared to a British con, world cons and American cons generally do not tend to have the the programming into the evening on a range of increasingly frivolous subjects that, that for me is, is the entire point of attending program at conventions. So, and I understand that it's important to have an impo- important topics about the important things of the day, but I would have, I would have liked to have seen, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue and things of that kind as well. Um, and, but I know that I'm not going to get that. So the day was programmed pretty thoroughly with the sort, exactly the sorts of panels, probably rather fewer than you would get at a real convention. But nevertheless, people went to a lot of program. People worked out that you could, you could go to program and slip out very easily. If you don't like it, you can go to program and, um, kind of be in the bar having a people had worked out that you could like man the your convention table in the bar whilst also watching things on the program whilst also snarking to people in another chat somewhere and i think people like that a whole lot that was very popular um so there was that um i was on a fair number of program items not vast numbers i i saw some more because um I'd promised people I was not going to work at the convention because they thought that if I was doing being the guff delegate and also running a dealer's table and also being on program, I might die. Also working the convention, I might die. But it became quite clear early on that some of the areas of the convention were not quite coping. And one of these was the Zoom host role where you have somebody in the Zoom making sure that people... The exact thing we're not doing in this Zoom, actually. We probably should have arranged somebody to to do that but anyway but do as i say not as i do yeah exactly but but they needed that role and they and they knew they needed that role and they trained people for it but they didn't have enough so i i did a few shifts of that so so i did actually do some work on the convention which got me to see a little bit of the kind of how things work backstage and then the only other work i did was that 
there was one point where they wanted to they had a party room set up so that ordinary members of the convention could meet Hugo finalists and we met somebody who was very senior at the convention who had been working for like 102 consecutive hours at that point and that he just looked at us and said I I now have to go because I have to run this this room for random people to meet Hugo finalists in which there will be random Hugo random people and no Hugo finalists and and Tammy Coxon who's the Hugo administrator and me who was the guff girl said well why don't we sit in your room and you could go and actually get some sleep or do whatever else you have to do and we can man that so that was the only other work I did and I think if there was going to be another con like this I would actually get in touch and say I'm very happy to host parties for you if you have like official party rooms that need hosts this is a thing that I'm prepared to do provided you don't mind me being drunk when I do it I'm I'm actually curious, Alison, how well did it work with all the participants on Zoom? Because there's a huge variation in whether people are sort of, you know, sound like they're, they're on a panel from underwater somewhere or like you can hear every single thing that's going on. That's a good question. <laughs> Through to people with quite good setup. So how well did it work for Conzealand? And, and were people like on the whole, you know, audible and comprehensible or was that a big problem? The items I was on as a panellist, we had all our panellists and I believe they were all audible and it was completely fine and this was a non-issue for us. Um, one of the one of the rooms that I was in charge of as a Zoom host, we had a an author who is in the class of people who probably should never be allowed near a computer and who could not get her Zoom set up and who had had quite a lot of individual tuition to help her get Zoom set up and they'd finally got it working and that but the setup that they managed to make work she couldn't get gallery view working on so she insisted on loading the app as well as the website and it all went spectacularly wrong so the poor viewers of whom there are about 30 or 40 who come in to see this woman read who are who's going to be nameless because this is absolutely not her fault um, got 25 minutes of me trying to coach oh. her through Zoom instead. So I think there is a, we should probably be a bit more dogmatic about we are, you, you if you're going to be a program participant at this convention, you, you need to do Zoom training and we need to know yeah. that you have done it. Um, and that Zoom training could be very short if if you're obviously competent. But for the people who take longer, they need quite they may need, may need quite a lot of personal love and attention. In general, it was amazing. Um, I, I think people forget how difficult it is to hear panelists and see panelists in program items, particularly big program items. Normally, I think for a lot of panels, you get a much better view of the panelists on Zoom, and you get to see them in their native habitats. You see them in their studies and with their cats, and and this is kind of nice. I I I thought. I quite like panels on Zoom and you can leave. If a panel's a bit boring, you can just tuck it away in a corner and and do other things and just when when the person who won't stop talking I think moderation is probably slightly harder on Zoom. I was in one panel that was terribly moderated to the point where I as one panelist said, I think it might be nice to hear from the other panelist who isn't speaking at all. Um I mean and I hadn't spoken very much at that point. Oh Jesus! Like, because I've moderated, I've moderated panels with um people who talk a lot. Um, you know, mentioning no names. Um, and like, it can be difficult to interrupt someone who's in full flow, and it is more difficult if there is an audio delay. But like, yeah, if you're the moderator, you really need when there's a pause to be calling on the people that haven't been speaking as much. And if you're not doing that, that is what? Where did you learn to moderate? 
Um, this is the one concrete improvement I have made to British fandom. I suggested that Easter cons should run um, workshops that like did moderation role plays for new moderators at the start of each con. And that is a thing that has been adopted and I think is a good idea because when I started moderating, I had no idea how to do it. Um, I just let Neil Gaiman talk, which as it turned out was the right choice because most of the room was there to hear, hear Neil Gaiman talk uh, and fewer people were there to hear Dave Haddock talk. Although in some ways Dave was more interesting. Uh, but yeah. Didn't I didn't I have to keep coming and frantically waving the time up signs at you for that panel to try and get you off stage, John? Yeah. I'd had I'd had two hours of sleep and I was I was I was still drunk and I was moderating a panel with Neil Gaiman about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like I'm astounded I voluntarily stopped moderating that panel. I am surprised that people didn't have to drag <laughs> me from the room. I was having my I was living my best life. It was so good. I have to say that if I'm slightly surprised that at the point where you came in and frantically waved, the audience didn't hunt you down and beat you up, really, Liz. I think I could... It was a good... Because it seems unlikely that whatever was on next was going to be more engaging than Neil Gaiman talking about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, presumably a few years ago. Before... 2008, it was. It was the... Uh, not Olympus, Orbital. Orbital Eastcom in, he in Heathrow. I mean, he, he, was, he was guest of honour... So he probably had his schedule like planned down to 10 minute intervals. So quite likely if he hadn't stopped his handler would have had to come in and then try and get him to go to whatever he was doing next. So it was good for us all really that John wrapped up because I was being like, what do I do now? What do you do if your panel doesn't actually get off stage? I guess in Zoom, if your panel is running over, then presumably you'll just get the, you know, this, this, this Zoom chat will shut down in one minute sign and it goes away. I went to a I went to a panel um yesterday. There was a item um that was scheduled for it was originally scheduled for ten, but I think that was a mistake because when I looked at the schedule again it had been moved to eleven and it said it would run eleven to twelve and I was like, Brilliant, I can watch this panel, it's the last panel of the day, uh, and then I can go to sleep. And then at twelve they were like, Oh, we're supposed to wrap up now, but like there's nothing else on the schedule for an hour, so we'll just keep going. Because there's no there's no one to stop you. And that meant I was like, oh no, I want this to go to bed. So I ended up like, Espanya sleeping next to me, like on my iPad with my earphones in, in the dark, wishing they would stop doing it. Well, no, because it was great Arkham Horror trivia, don't get me wrong. But I was like, I was hoping to go to bed, guys. Um, but it was a very good stream. So I, I have to say, there are some things that Conzealand did quite bad. So they, I think they'd failed to realise that you can't just uncontrolled like a meeting like this where you're working on a zoom basic account so you've got 20 or 30 or 40 people in but it's a panel with a discussion angle that really needs to be set up with you know everyone else with video off and audio off and questions in chat and quite formalized because the sort of quite come and go discussion that you might have in a program room in that circumstance, is not going to work on Zoom because Zoom, as we all know, Bob, fails from groups of more than about 10. It, it, it stops being fun. Douglas Spencer says in the chat that big group discussions on Zoom are very bad for hard of hearing people. And I can imagine that being true. Um, but I think that yeah. the other, the, the flip side of that is obviously small group discussions where people aren't talking over each other are presumably much easier. I am not I am very, very slightly hard of hearing in that I don't, like, if I go and get a hearing test, I won't be recommended to get a hearing aid, but I can't hear stuff like crickets. Like, Espanya can hear things I just can't hear when we go on a walk. She's like, listen to that. And I'm like, there's no sound there, Espanya. What are you talking about? 
I was going to say the good thing about um, Zoom meetings that Zealand did was that they were quite focused on this is how long the meetings will last. This is how long you've got until the next meeting comes in. Um, they they slightly they made it a bit hard for reading because they the readings the re, the readings were twenty five minutes with five minutes to turn the room round and I can tell you that was quite quite the tricky thing particularly as you have one author and if they can't manage zoom it's it's very hard um but for the panels it was mostly the things that they expected to attract a lot of people run in webinar format with an understanding that the webinars could run over if they liked because there was only one webinar every two hours yeah so there were there was a, a a program in each time slot every hour but the webinar but they had two separate zoom accounts for each program room so you do webinar one and then webinar two in the same room. Yeah, so so it looked seamless to all, to the members that they just went into a room. But in fact, as you went through the door to the room, you were seamlessly transported to one of two rooms, one of which contained a lady and one of which contained a tiger. No, different rooms. Um, okay, neither of you got that joke. Hopefully someone in the audience got that joke. I, I can hear that someone in the audience got that joke. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they were in Croydon. Espanya says that we're young. No, 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 it was Espanya chuckling and coming through my mic. <laughs> right. And Roman has said, nice joke, thank you. And Sam, Joe has said, I want the tiger room. So, okay, it was a, I promise you it was a good joke, even though you two didn't get it. This is one of the problems with Zoom for people who do any sort of comedy, is that that lack of reaction is very distressing, that you kind of go, w- 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 was, I, was I just not witty? No, and you can't because I've given I've given seminars on Zoom professionally, and I think the problem is with yeah the problem is with lack of audience reaction is you can't tell, um, and especially like I'm just looking at my slide, I can't see any of the faces of the people I'm talking to, and I'm like I have no idea if people are struggling with the concepts I'm going through. I have no idea if they're enjoying the little bits of daftness I'm putting in. Like it is really hard to give talks on Zoom. I imagine as an author doing a reading, it must be even more difficult because ultimately. On my slide, I got some pictures of graphs and people could look at the graphs and be like, it's a graph. But like as an author, you've got to convey emotion and stuff and that must be tricky. Yeah, it's really hard to try and uh, teach people over Zoom because you can't see if they're falling behind. You can't see if they're sort of looking worried or blank. Yes, uh, and Zoom's kind of got some reaction things with like go faster and go slower and and yes, and, uh, and, and it's possible that those could be used for React. Facebook Live has little react emojis that float up the screen as you're doing your facebook live but i just want you to know that i have now done a facebook live and it was very horrible so i'm not sure i'm going to do another of those zoom has them as well i can click on go faster and go slower yeah oh we have votes for go faster and go slower yes me and liz are telling you to do one of each (laughs) so please please say each word very quickly but with long pauses in between like this maybe this is really yes excellent uh i'm gonna turn off my go faster because this is not i i turned them all off okay that's a bit better right i like the fact that you went high-pitched like i was fast-forwarding your audio in an old rubbish music player that was excellent yes that's because that's how i do fast forward obviously i mean i'm picky and perky this is going to be very confusing to uh our listeners who listen on three times speed i just want to point out (laughs) yes yes oh my goodness 
Yes, no, please. Um, cra- Crazy Dave and Max, write in and tell us on 3x speed whether or not Alison talking in fast forward is comprehensible. Because if it is, you are super powered. They can always slow it down for those bits. They're slowing it down for my bits anyway, I'm sure. So one of the problems with parties at Zoom, um, so so they had a party suite and what they did was they created a 500-person party room for which each party had one breakout room. So that meant that if you were, say, running a party, and I ran two parties in these spaces over the weekend, you just had a kind of uncontrollable room. And as, as anyone who anyone who knows me knows, I run Zoom parties quite a lot and I run them as a managed set of breakout rooms so that with the idea that each room ends up with five to ten people in it and when when it gets a bit bigger than that we we kind of encourage people to to break it into smaller rooms because we find that those are the I find that those are the optimum somebody asked me what was the optimum number of people in a room and it kind of depends how many of the sort of introverts who like to sit in a corner and not say anything you've got because you can have quite a lot of those in your zoom room as well as the loudmouthed people who want to talk all the time but you can probably only have about five or six of the loudmouthed people who want to talk all the time or two if they're Lillian <laughs> oh is Spanier is one of the Lillian group or the Allison group <laughs> maybe they're all women there must be some men Oh no! Yeah, Espana. Espana came down and said Alison's first party at the Zoom was like fifty—not fifty, but like some huge number of people. I was like, "How did that work? Did anyone get a word?" And she said, "Well, I did, obviously." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." Um... <laughs> it, it, it was. It was actually. So I went and I said, "I thought we had thirty-seven at peak." Blimey. And the party team said, "No, no, no! You never went over twenty-five." And I was like, "I had thirty-seven at peak," but I, yeah. It's fine. It's still clearly too many. But people were happy. People people were fine, I think. And then we went down to a manageable number and it was all good. And then the second party, which was not the guff party, it was the Fanny McFanface party, had fewer. It, it had a kind of very stable, agreeable number of people all evening. So that was quite good. I, I still felt that I would have been happier if I'd had three or four breakout rooms to look after. And then I could have moved people around and, and then popped in to make sure they were happy the same way I would normally do it. So were there any absolutely colossal parties? Like, I'm not sure which one you hosted other than uh, a Fanny McFanface, but, you know, did like Shycon or Glasgow in 2024 have colossal parties and how did they work? No, I ran, oh, sorry, I ran three parties because I ran a party for Glasgow. Um, and again, we had about kind of 20, I think a lot of the members of the convention did not find the party spaces. Right. Yeah, that's 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 a problem. And some of the members of the convention who did find the party spaces kind of were expecting more structured parties. I don't think they'd realised that parties consisted of people sitting in a room drinking beer and chatting about random stuff. And then there were a couple of parties that were almost like book discussion groups put into a party space. Um, and then I think eventually the filkers took a, a kind of a filking space to, to kind of do the sort of filk that you can do on Zoom, which is where everybody shuts up and listens to one person sing. So I have a question about how Conzeeland did all this. So I know that like several of the parties were basically just a single breakout room for anyone who was in that party. So like Glasgow in 2024 had like one breakout room for the Glasgow in 2024 party, which is not necessarily how I would have gone about structuring that. Um, But on the 
So the convention I am attending does not have a Zoom component. It has a Discord and then it has the different panels and stuff are streamed on Twitch or YouTube and you just like uh, go along. So there's no Zoom stuff happening. Um, but it has a feature where in the Discord you can create new rooms in the Discord to hang out in. There is a basically you join a voice channel and it automatically opens a new voice channel for you and kicks you out into that. And you can put video on, you can play a game. So it's really good for like playing pickup games. Is that something that Conzealand were doing? And do you think that would have worked better? How many people were at the Arkham Horror Convention? Like much fewer, many, many fewer. Yes. So. This is what you would do if you were running a small, friendly convention. What happened was that they experimented briefly in one of their test runs with letting people make their own Discord chats, and it all went wrong for them. They Their quote was, it got very, very messy very fast. And part of this is that Conzealand had a notion that they needed to have a way to police Conzealand space. So party rooms had to have a moderator and if you had a if you had a table i.e. a Discord chat for your fan group, you were supposed to moderate what went on in there. They could have done a lot more there to make it easier for people to create do things with their own tribes. And there were many Discord video channels in the bar and I think by the last day they'd they'd upped that to about twenty. Okay. So those video channels in the bar did kind of act like bar tables because you could see who was all in them and you could spot somebody you knew in one of those conversations and then join it. So we we speculated when we were speculating several weeks ago about how Conzilla would work, about how this is going to work for the sort of people who, if they come into the con bar, might find it hard to sit down and have a quiet chat because there's someone that everyone wants to talk to. Now, how would that work? How did that work in the, the Conzilla discords or... You know, did you see someone join a table and everyone went, ooh, and suddenly join their Discord chat and they had 50 people? Or in practice, were those people just not joining the Discord beer chats? Okay, so there was a lot of different Zoom. There were a lot of private Zooms going on. Um, a lot of the people who you think of as being more famous, well, for a start off, a lot of the people you think of as being more famous weren't actually at the convention. So there's some of that. I, I think quite a lot of US and UK authors were not there for whatever reason. Um, some were. Um, I guess if your primary reason for going to Worldcon is to hobnob and network professionally, I can see why an online convention would not represent a good opportunity to do that. I, I think you can still form good connections with people at online conventions. I think I've been doing that both on my trip and at the convention. I've made lots of new friends. It's fine. Um, I suspect that there were a set of Zooms to which we hoi polloi were not privy because um, I wasn't getting access to... Obviously, there were layers and layers of discords I wasn't necessarily seeing. Um, I, I obviously have chats with some of those people Um but I suspect there will have been like a, the the Zoom equivalent of the Suffle Suite. So just in the same way as at a real Worldcon, you might find that that authors don't tend to be in the bar the way they would be at the Eastercon. I think that's also true. How many Worldcons have you attended, Alison? Are you counting this one? Uh, yes. Eleven. This is my eleventh Worldcon. Where did this one rank on the list? Oh, that's such a good question because 
not at the bottom. <laughs> right. I think it it takes a little while to get into world cons and really get a hang of how to do them. So I quite I quite enjoyed myself. I had a really good time. I didn't have as good. T- I mean, last year at Dublin, um, the convention where I only got there was one night that I didn't get thrown out of the CCD. The previous night, I stayed up drinking with Caroline Mullen and her daughter until 4 a.m. And as a result, the following night, I could only stay up till midnight and couldn't couldn't get thrown out of the CCD. But that was the only night. I did get thrown out the other four nights of the, the convention. And I, I feel that, that that's all you really need. What what, what more that you, you want is that every night you go, you're having sufficiently good a time that at the point where they round everyone up and say, ain't you lot got homes to go to? You go, oh, I suppose I do really. I'll see you tomorrow. At the Dublin World Con, we had a slightly, Spanier and I had a slightly different experience because there was a um, a great, like, deli slash bakery place around the corner from our digs. And they shut at 3.30, but they sold pizza out of a hole in a wall at, like, 3 a.m. So we would leave slightly early every night so we could go and eat delicious, delicious pizza. Uh, I like... Yeah, and I I will put a picture in the chapter art because um I do I t- took a picture took a picture of the pizza. <laughs> I, I have been being rather rather glass half full for the last three weeks, um and people have kind of gone oh this is all right but it's not like a real con, and I keep thinking have you forgotten how much time you spent in Dublin in a queue? That's fair. It is fair. So that's a really interesting question because. Queuing at normal world cons is a very powerful motivator in saying, ah, sod this, I'm not going to program and returning to the bar to drink more with your friends. Did you find that your, like, ratio of socialising to programming changed? And do you think that people, like, went to all the programme they wanted to go to, as a result, didn't socialise as much as they usually would, and ended up being like, oh, like, I didn't see my friends as much? Or do you think that's not? I had a thi- well, a lot of people, you know, people's friends weren't necessarily there as much. That's true. I had a theory that before this started, that the convention would not quite get the social spaces right. I, I think that theory is confirmed. I, getting those social, so they did some things right. For example, they had a programmed Discord chat in every for every program room, but not the, not every program room, but many program rooms. There was a Discord chat that afterwards to match it so you would fit it you get thrown out of your zoom and then there would be a place in the bar for you to go and have text chat and unfortunately they, they could probably have done with a video chat associated with each of those as well but they had a text chat associated with each of those and i think that was quite good in terms of carrying on discussions exchanging links forging friendships um i think they could have done with more kind of generic meetup things I, I said, I don't think we, we haven't got the social spaces sorted yet, especially for such a big convention. And, and I think there is a risk that these online conventions will get bigger. I spoke to numerous people over the weekend who were there because they had always wanted to go to a Worldcon, but their geographical location means that it is impossible for them to ever get to one. Social spaces, uh, it got better through the weekend. So I found, and I think that's often true at a Worldcon, that you, you kind of don't quite know how to find your social spaces at the beginning of a Worldcon. And then it... After a bit, you know where you're going to find the people you want to chat to. I had to work quite hard to find social spaces at this con because a lot of what I think of as my bread and butter social life was not at the con. So all the people that I automatically end up in a bar chatting to because they're my mates, none of those people. I think, sorry if you were, but the I mean, 
there are a few in in here, but the vast majority of the th- people who I think of as my regular mates were not at this con. So so that meant that they weren't there to talk to. And so you have to do more work. I I think we need to say this every week. The fact that they managed to turn the convention into a virtual convention in the time they did with as few things going wrong as did go wrong is an absolute bloody marvel. They they stitched together a ton of different stuff to make it happen. It all more or less worked. Those of us that went, well, I certainly had a fantastic time and I think a lot of other people had a fantastic time. Um... I wanted to say something else that was much better than we could possibly have imagined, which is that we ran a fan fund auction. We were like, we are not going to make any money. It is going to be a bit of a disaster. We ran it in Zoom. Yeah, no, I saw that. You made like a thousand pounds. We made two thousand New Zealand dollars, a lot of which was due to some very marvellous lots. I have to mention Esther McCallum Stewart and James Shields. Esther gave us two shawls. I think I'm going to have Esther knitting for the fan funds for the rest of time now, if she doesn't mind. Um, so she had two shawls and they went for a lot of money and, um, and James Shields custom printed us dice with convention logos. So, so like a D20 with the Conzeela logo instead of the 20 and oh my goodness, (laughs) you know, if he wanted to set up a business doing this, he could probably do this at this point. There were loads of people in the auction just, just for that one lot. And then Erin Underwood, my Duff counterpart had hit up a load of authors for like story critiques and zoom calls and things of that sort um the fan funds auction ran so well that i have a plan to run a kind of guff party at some point so you're on warning here it'll be like the other guff parties but it'll be a party everyone will be invited and then after about an hour of drinking and socializing on zoom it will seamlessly turn into an auction where we spend an hour shaking you down for money and then we'll go back and party for the rest of the evening. Does that seem like a reasonable way to spend our evening? Oh, yeah. And it's very important we get people drunk before we ask for their money. So that is a sensible order of uh, operations. So, as well. so it was sufficiently... And we'll do the same thing there. We'll get a load of lots and we'll get them on a website so that people can go, oh, my goodness, I want to go to that because I want to bid on this thing that is unique and special. Do you think that a future real world con should have an online track? I think it is much harder than people think. The reason this convention was a success was that everyone was at home and we are all nerds and we all pretty well have jolly good internet and all the equipment we need at home. And if what you did was put everybody into a hotel and then said, oh, and we've got a hybrid track, then at that point we would destroy the convention's wi-fi in a spectacular way i don't think panels made up of three people in real life and one person online would necessarily work i mean i think it's worth thinking about i think every convention i will say this right now if you're running a convention you should have a discord you should open it today you should encourage your members to join it you should have chat rooms you should you should start to create the social space for your convention straight away or certainly well before the convention i've i've never I've never understood why conventions don't. I mean, initially, I assume uh, initially I never understood why they didn't have slacks, and now Discord has become what Discord has become. I now wonder why they don't have Discords because I'm like, this is like Twitter, but it doesn't have a lot of awful stuff about what's happening in real life on it, and it doesn't need me to be on Twitter. I can actually read all the messages. Um, so I, I just I think in so many ways it would be a very good idea. And you could have an announcements channel, which could be the yes. new... Um, less Nazis, not zero Nazis. Oh, and also you could just say that the code of conduct, the code of conduct apply, applies to all the spaces in the Discord all of the time. 
which you cannot do with Twitter. I think that actually is uh, not necessarily, well, maybe not necessarily an issue, but certainly if you decide to bring everything in-house on your Discord, then you have to commit to uh, maintaining the code of conduct on your Discord. So you suddenly add a lot of work for yourself where uh, essentially you, you need people watching watching all the messages on the Discord. I have I have a question about that, which is, do you think that policing your members on Twitter where you don't have any power is easier than policing them on Discord where you do? Because I think if you had a Discord, you would be able to say, the COC applies to, to our Discord, we actually have the tools to enforce that. But as Doug pointed out, the um, Code to Conducts for Existing Conventions already cover their Twitters and their Facebooks. So you're already having to do that. So I, I'm not convinced it adds a lot of work that's not already being done also you just have a listener function you say to people if you see anything that's troubling you tag listener and we'll come and have a look at it and and that's so it's actually it's not that you have to read everything it's that if somebody sees a problem they can bounce in a mod and that doesn't seem to me to be ludicrous and before the convention you can say it might take us 24 hours to come and look at your thread because it's before the convention and we're all very chill right now when everything is in-house people will have an expectation that you will be able to react much faster that might be a good point um, I will also say that I think the Discord is a very good opportunity to finally do something sensible with virtual or digital or online newsletter that isn't just putting a PDF on a web page. Because I think making an RSS feed or a blog of the newsletter doesn't really work in the same way that having a physical newsletter at, uh, at a con does. And I wouldn't advocate for removing a physical letter at a con, but being able to have a Discord announcements channel where you can have the newsletter team posting in real time as they get news items would be a revelation for how atcon communications and publications are done and as someone who's always been a little bit of a nerd about those sorts of things um i would very much like to see this happen and in fact i will email diana afterwards and volunteer to do it for 2021's EasterCon. can i can i just check um are you saying you're um actually offering to run the discord for EasterCon 2021 yeah sure. if you're going to set a discord up for them yeah, that would be great. I think everyone would love it. I think people would love it right now while they're on kind of a fallout from Zealand. I think it would be great. Anyway, so I want to say something about the Zealand newsletter, which is, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. So they did this thing where they basically said, how we're going to run newsletter is if you want something in the newsletter, you write it to this thread and we'll put it in the newsletter. So the newsletter was a bare dump from a random Discord chat. And it reads like that. And it's... It, this is actually shocking. Um, but I mean, I think if you had a Discord and you got... Every, so I don't think everyone was on it. I think maybe only 60% of the fans at Zealand were on the Discord, maybe. And the number actively on the Discord might have been a bit lower than that. So there's a kind of getting people to take the technology, to, to actually get involved in the technology there that we need to help with. <laughs> um, on the subject of letters of comment... We have some letters of comment. We have a meme of comment from Espana Sheriff. If you are listening to the podcast, I will have put this picture in the show notes so you can go and look at the meme. But yes, this is her based on us getting very meta in our last episode. So, yup, that is a thing. I, I just need to say this is much more what I'm after in a podcast than the people talking about books and movies. So, I'm sorry about that. 
Um, so Hog sent us an email, or sorry, sent me a text message um, asking if I'd heard of the new games journalism. Um, so the new games journalism is a um, thing put forward by Kieran Gillen about 15 years ago now, in which he kind of talked about what is the added value that you get from having someone who is actually good at writing, talking about, in this case, video games, as opposed to just getting someone random to play the game and write what they thought about it and then move on to the next game that you give them to play. And he made an argument that actually the missing link there is when you review games or talk about games, you need to be linking um you need to be linking what you're talking about to what people feel when they're playing games and contextualizing it in how they might have felt when they're playing other games and actually linking it to the human condition in a way that just playing the game and then talking about what the game is doesn't necessarily do and that kind of ties into what we were saying last episode about um the difference between a podcast that just literally reads a book and then talks about the plot and a podcaster that kind of contextualizes the genre in terms of reading different books uh, and i had used the example of shut up sit down in the gaming world as a as a way of doing that and that is an example of the new games journalism so there will be a link to kieran gillen's manifesto in the show notes and i am going to say that both liz batty and i do know i hope liz will, liz will remember this and not look blank but we do know about kieran gillen's new games journalism because about 2017 how long ago was in the autumn of 2017 about three or oh, earlier than that 2016 2015 about five years ago we were sitting around in a living room and i think michael abbott said it would be really good to get kieran gillen as a guest of honor at Follycon. And I said enthusiastically, yes. And the reason I said yes was because of New Games journalism rather than because of his comics writing, with which I was not familiar at the time. I had been an inordinate fan of Kieran Gillen for games journalism rather than for it because i am i am as everyone who listens to this podcast probably knows by now a, a very considerable games addict and um and nobody was writing sensibly about games except for kieran gill and I, I i slightly exaggerate but not much and and that was really important to me and i think that games are not well loved by or they're not well supported by eastercon despite the fact that most eastercon members are actually quite into gaming and and it's a thing that we probably not it's not that we should have more games at the eastercon it's fine to have games at, the, at, at conventions but i think that we don't do enough I'm always after talking about what it is that we're doing when we are making the thing, um, you know, so, 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 so deconstructing things in greater detail than just, oh, the plot stuff that I talked about last week. And I think that, that games journalism is, is one of the core, you know, that's the, talking about what it is that people are doing when they are playing games is a lot interesting than saying, and I liked this game because it had interesting characters or because the cards were nicely cut. Yeah, so I, I remember that slightly differently because I think I said, maybe we should get Kieran Gillen and Alison went, yes, for his games journalism. And, and Michael Lovett went, yes, for his comics. And then we were like, okay, well, then he definitely like fits the bill. So I would be delighted if we were to end up as a podcast in the new games journalism style. Although I think we might need to be a bit weirder. <laughs> Challenge accepted. I, my, my thinking of new games journalism is it was digging into those things, but it also wasn't afraid to kind of be a little bit strange while doing them. Yes, I think the surrealism of Sharper Sit Down uh, is definitely part of that 
Yeah. Um, and I know that Kieran Gillen is a friend of Quinn's and Matt Lee's and has written for Shall We Sit Down on occasion himself, mostly about Warhammer. So we have two more letters of comment. Firstly, Malcolm Hutchison, uh, which he signed his letter as Chalky Monster, which I did not know uh, was his pseudonym, but I'm going to use it. So Chalky Monster um, asked whether they could have comped Hugo finalists a day membership. I believe this did eventually effectively happen. I believe Hugo nominees, sorry, Hugo finalists were um, given the ability to attend. I, as a Hugo finalist, did not take them up on that because I was attending a Arkham Horror convention this weekend. Um, but I think that was done. And um, I think we will be talking a bit more about the nuts and bolts of Conzealand next time. The final lock is from one Claire Briley of Croydon. Um, and she has written a poem. So, the Octothorpe Poetry Corner. On rudeness. The higher minds of Octothorpe have made it very clear. Clean up your dodgy poetry. They want no rudeness here. We've checked and so it now appears safe topics can include seeing comets leaping even with the naked eye. And it seems it isn't rubber, so it's also not too rude. If your only need for LaTeX is transliterated tie, they nonetheless put in themselves, really very sinister, a sudden and quite unprovoked terrible Prime Minister. So avoiding offence is just more mark protection, and listeners too, all those blushes to spare. Yet when Alison ponders sports body perfection, John weighs up her words and concluded, that's fair. So sing double standards and don't try your luck, even if you think it's just a comedy... Ah, yes, this isn't going to get featured either, is it? And it's the one I like most, despite the complicated meter. But maybe this one will be more acceptable. Going down under. Alison wants more subscribers and rest. And maybe a pie is a float of the best. When did today start? Who can say where it ends? Adelaide sight seen by phone held by friends. Western Australian, then Nullarbor. Friday night drinks over Zoom, not a pub crawl. Discord with Irwin while watching the football. Don't say the city name if you're not sure. Canberra, Sydney, the beaches up north, Hobart, Tasmania, Capital Radio, then just the whole of New Zealand to go and finally sleep going home on the 4th. Guff passes the 21st century test. The modern fan travels by Oculus Quest. Coming up, the live broadcast. Octothorpe Live, what to drink, what to wear. John needs to check all the settings in Zoom to record it, and Liz needs to tidy the room for Alison not to be there. This is not a podcast for fan technophobes. John, leave out the magnetosphere. But speed up the sound and it still seems quite clear, unless they are talking to Tobes. Liz has no thoughts on old French aristocracy. John is still pondering Hugo democracy. And where is the fun at a virtual con? Join in with Octothorpe, fan, nerd or geek. Then Alison's hoping to sleep for a week. Right then, I do need to let you get on. Okay, thank you very much, Claire. We love them. Keep sending poetry, guys. We're never going to stop. <laughs> so that was the 11th episode of the Octothought podcast. And for today, it's goodbye from it's me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. <laughs> I, I should say, I came upstairs, I said to my family, my, I, I should explain that my daughter is moving out of our home 
to go and live somewhere else for the first time during the recording of this podcast due to what I think I would say is a cock up on the catering front. And um, I so we had this kind of tearful farewell. And I said, I have to go up half an hour. I, I was I was actually going to be fine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She didn't say she say, could we move the podcast? This is <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, dear me. I really didn't. <laughs> when you say you didn't know it, I didn't know it either. I didn't know it until I was in the dead dog at Con Zealand. And I was like, I should probably leave the dead dog. And Marianne said, yes, you probably should, Mum, because I'm going to move out while you're on the podcast. And I was like, you what? And so anyway, so I came upstairs and I said, I have to start the podcast early. We're starting half an hour before we actually go live. And Marianne said, that's so you can work out before you start broadcasting exactly what you're going to say about George R.R. Martin, isn't it? And I said, yes, you have got it right in one. And the answer apparently is nothing. But bits might slip out around the edges, in which case we're terribly sorry. Right. Anyway, so yes, Marianne is moving out. She isn't really moving out forever. We've had her girlfriend staying with us for the last three months because... Um, they didn't really want to not be able to have any physical contact. So they wanted to be living in the same household. And so they are now going to go and live in Kirsty's parents' house for a few months. So at some point, probably, um, things will go back to a state of normal where people who are partners but do not live in the same house are allowed to have physical contact, at which point they will probably, Marianne will come back and live with us. Kirsty will stay living with her parents until such time as they both have gainful employment and can rent a flat. Yes, I just assumed she was moving out because sharing a house with you, time shifted, had gotten to her to the point that she was like, I'm out of here. Uh, is this how, to, to what extent do you think this is true? Um, it's perfectly plausible. Are you, going to edit all, are you going to edit all these beery burps out of the podcast? I can't hear them. I, I'm not going to edit you mentioning We will edit out, your beery So burps, um, yeah. have fun with that. Um, <laughs> that's going to be the title of the episode, Beery Burps. We're going to remix it into the octothorpe equivalent of the Buttery Biscuit Bass song. Beery Burps, Beery Burps, Beery Burps. Beery Burps, 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 Beery, Beery Burps. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, we're making music here. Um, if you're tuning in now, you're listening to the Octothorpe Podcast, a jam podcast for people who like music. Um, we were talking about jam. something that wasn't this, and I don't really remember what it was. 